Hello and welcome to Business Without with me, Dominic Frisby, and Andy Ori. Now, Ori Clark is a firm of lawyers and accountants. It's unusual that a firm does both things. And one of its partners is my co-host, Andy Ori. And uh, Andy made the observation that so many of the firm's clients are doing so many interesting, wonderful and exciting things. And he wanted to share some of those exciting things, some of those exciting stories with a broader audience. And the result is this podcast. Um, Andy, who have we got on the show today? Thanks, Tom. Uh, we have the wonderful Joe Sluz. Um, he has a slightly unpronounceable surname like I do. Uh, congratulations on that, Joe. Uh, Joe is a, a serial entrepreneur, he would be described as, and uh, his current business is a business called uh, Squarebook, which is looking at doing online IPOs, so initial public offerings of companies, but doing it through a sort of, you know, modern, uh, digital platformy kind of way. That's uh, very good. That's a fair explanation. <laughs> very good. Now, how, Joe, how are you dealing with COVID and all the horrible things that are going on? How are you handling that? Has it been good to you or has it been cruel to you? Uh, I guess like uh, a lot, a bit of both. Uh, we, we had our first client do, the, do their first transaction and then COVID came. Inevitably, they've they've postponed that and found alternative finance for the for the short term. I mean, it's still a great business there. I'm sure they they'll still IPO in the the fullness of time. Uh, so from that perspective, that was that was quite a disappointment. Having said that, I mean, there's been a lot of activity in capital markets. We've um, we've had one of the the big banks approach us about white labeling part of our platform to to bring more efficiency to their business and. Uh, I mean, I guess everyone's expecting unprecedented levels of recapitalizations over the, the next 12, 18 months. It's, it's going to be a, a bumper time in, in capital markets. So there's kind of some new opportunities that have opened up, uh, I would say, really as a result of COVID. And fundamentally, we're, we're a technology business. This is about bringing innovation to, to the market, to the process, and having seen a number of deals get done, IPOs get done um, during the COVID period with, you know, rather than the, the two weeks of flying around everywhere that apparently founders absolutely had to do and handing out physical documentation and, and all the rest of it, the, these deals have moved online. And, uh, and that, I guess, is, yeah, uh, positive for us to show to the world that, that that's doable. Uh, there's two basics, like uh, IPOs, uh, I mean, initial public offering. So a company is, is starts generally life as a private limited company. You know, uh, uh, you and Roger set up a company and, and, and eventually Barry joins. Um, but then as time elapses, the, the, the concept is that you could have a company could offer shares to anybody because there's actually an awful lot of rules about offering out shares to anyone. You can't just do it. If you're going to offer shares to the general public who are supposed to be idiots or unable to make complex decisions about their money in terms of risk um, and advertise that and, and sell those shares, then, then there's a, you know, a, uh, a world called you know, turning into a PLC, becoming much more regulated, reporting, all of that. I mean, I'm giving that groundwork you know, just as a sort of that's what a that's what a public company is, and what and maybe you could explain 
what is the what is the normal process at the moment and what is the process you're proposing yeah so i mean the process i i think we've, we've seen it change a bit just during covid as i say in terms of perhaps more online meetings more digital sharing so there there's an aspect of our business that's about digitizing that process and helping all of the the parties share information and you know coordinate the transaction more efficiently but i guess the the key to our business what we're what we're really innovating is around price discovery uh, around the the auction that takes place that actually prices the the shares in the ipo and chooses who they're allocated to uh, that's something that hasn't changed for, for decades. And quite clearly, technology has moved on in such a way where we're all connected. You can now make an offer, make information, make management roadshows available to everyone. You're right, there's there's more to do when you're going to involve the, the retail in an IPO. There's more work for the bankers. There's, you know, more, uh, there's a research note to be written that's, that's friendly to, to that audience. Um, but to... To price and allocate is is really where we're focused, and we can we can see that there's yeah, massive uh, opportunity for for innovation, and that's where you needed regulatory support, which just wasn't something you were going to get um, pre the change of the regulator in in 2011. So effectively, the issue of valuation. I mean the the the, the, the whole concept of market value because it's all. It's all made up. <laughs> it's it's just whatever someone wants to pay for something. Absolutely. I mean, what is an auction? It's a, a method of price discovery. And the the method that's been used in markets the last couple of decades is, is something called book building. And it's been about getting a, a group of investors that the the issuing bank, the the advisor to the company knows and kind of polling them for, for what it's worth and deciding how to how to allocate that. And I mean, with, with technology now, I, I think it's fair to say that process has, has had its time. And now using data, using uh, scoring investors in, in certain ways, choosing to, to allocate to investors based on what is in the best interests of, of the issuer and creating a technology platform that can, can do that is, is where our business is focused. How open is this platform? Is this something, is the thing that pisses me off, it, mm-hmm. I've been wanting to buy Tesla shares for about two years, but right. I can't, like, you know, I've got, you know, can, but you know, what? My, I was just going to interrupt you because um, my girlfriend was saying this yesterday, is that she has an account with Revolut and now just with her ordinary account with Revolut, she can buy Tesla shares, she was saying. She was asking me if she should buy Tesla shares. And I was going, no. Did she buy other shares? I think so. I don't think it's only Tesla that you can buy. Yeah, well, I think it's like the most expensive. It's, isn't it more valuable than all the other car companies in the world combined? Oh. <laughs> and it could go up further. It's, 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 it's uh, shareholders are pretty religious about it. But I think the time to buy is gone, maybe. I might be wrong, but. That was just my view. But the fact that it's just giving somebody with a mobile phone who's got no experience in this kind of thing access to those kind of markets is on the one hand, it's really good because people can learn and they've got access to the stock markets, easy access and so on. But on the other hand, you will get people who do not know what they're doing uh, taking risks. Yeah, you're right. It almost There's a load of other tech that's coming in, which are probably already applying to you, telling you how you're spending money and how you should save money. And there's, there's something that takes money out of your account every time you're not looking. 
and, and saves it up for you, which is quite hilarious. But yeah, it almost, if you're going to invest in Tesla, it almost should say, you can only afford 10 pounds <laughs> <laughs> the way you live your lifestyle. But it's a frustration for me. I really did want to buy Tesla shares like two years ago because I was like, they're so fucking far ahead of everyone. This my dad had one and stuff. But it was like, oh, how do I do that? Oh, and then I had to email these brokers and they never got back to me and I've got to set up an account. It's like they really make it. It's like one of those divided society things that you feel that it's kind of like, well, the rich get access to this thing, but you know, your, your unsophisticated investor who can't afford to invest, you can fuck off, even though that you could just invest 10 pounds and turn it into a Well, Andy, it's a lot easier now than it was. You go back to the 1990s before the internet came along and it really was not the uh, domain of every man and all the online brokers have made it a, a, a lot easier. But you do make a good point because we use the word leverage. Leverage is just a fancy word for debt. All, all, <laughs> all, when you're using leverage in the stock market, you're basically using borrowed money to speculate with. And, you know, when you buy a, a hundred grand house and you put down a, a, a 10 grand deposit, the other 90 grand of, of debt is just leverage. And the house goes up from a hundred grand to 110 grand. Well, you've doubled your money. Um, you, you, you know, even though the house has only gone up 10%, that's how leverage works. It's wonderful when it works in your favor. Wow. But when it works against you, it's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous thing indeed. But anyway, I just wanted to make that point. But leverage and debt are one of the unfortunate. You know, you associate debt with you know pawnbrokers and and people being ripped off by those debt companies whose names I've forgotten. But actually, debt is a luxury of the rich, mm. and it's one of those sort of iniquities in our society that you know, if you look in in in, it's the rich of, or cheap debt is anyway. And, uh, and you know, they're the, it's the rich who benefit most from slashed interest rates and all the rest of it. So if we want to benefit from all that, we've got to get rich, guys. <laughs> well, back to your point, it's, it's about the cheap debt, isn't it? I mean, you, you talk about a mortgage, and, and for most people, the only cheap debt they're ever going to get access to is, is a mortgage. You look at the, the interest rate on the leverage on the, the trading account, now that's, that's going to be significant if you're, you know, not a wealthy, uh, wealthy client. Which is so backwards, isn't it? Really? I mean, it should be, I mean, maybe that's the fundamental thing, isn't it? Interest is based on risk and you're high risk if you haven't got anything, but in reality, they should almost have a system to force it to go the other way, you know, to say, you know, no, it should be, it should be cheap because you're poor, you know, it's the Wonga.com is the extreme example, isn't it? Which I'm sure we all watched those uh, adverts um, years ago. Uh, uh, well, I did. I still remember it coming up at the bottom of the screen as an accountant and it said something like, interest rates 7,500%. And you were like, oh my God. But the advert they said was like, but if you only borrow it for a week, you only need to pay us back yeah. you know, an extra tenner. And it all suddenly, that all sounds terribly reasonable, you know? And it's like... It's playing on desperate people, yeah. And I mean, the the borrowing costs for the poor is, I mean, it, it's part of what, yeah, what sinks people. It's it's a horrible thing. Back to the uh, the, the you know, I mean, ironically, it's a sort of um, you're in the business of 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 assisting companies create a value and, and, and create a sort of marketplace for them to sort of list and stuff. But you're also also in the business of raising money for your 
self, which I, I honestly think raising money has to be one of the toughest, most annoying. It must be the shittest bit of being a startup. I mean, let's just face it. You know, if people would hand out money, then it will be easier. I mean, is there any, are there any sort of tips or, um, or, or foi, foi, foi boils, whatever that word is that you've experienced over the years? Um, yeah, certainly, as you say, I mean, uh, I think any any founder would say it's the, the most difficult part. Uh, I mean, you talked earlier about um, momentum. Uh, I was talking about how, you know, investors getting involved in something and then suddenly it takes off. I, I think that is just the case in everything. I mean, you, you see it with the, the crowdfunding platforms, right? As soon as you get to a certain tipping point, everything gets done. But if you can't get that that early interest, then you've got no chance. And I think that's just the same in, in all fundraising. Just inevitably, as soon as you find those first couple who want to do it, every everyone else follows. I think it's I think it's really tough and, and and there's very few corporate finances houses that will do it and the ones that do it understandably charge retainers which you know people aren't you know people say oh can't we just have a success fee but in all honesty they can't because it is a really tough difficult job I always like as I'm sure I shared with you actually some one of Chris's thing about the sort of don't look don't look for investors look for mentors which I always thought was a you know yeah. great approach and and it's almost the place you should start as a business, isn't it? Trying to build up a, a, a collection of people who are respected to buy into what you're doing, sort of thing. I mean, from your oh, perspective, sure. you're doing something that's a bit it's a bit against the grain slightly, because if you go to someone who's grown someone who understands this may resist it, you know, which is a, a sort of, you know. Who would be, if you were reaching out to ideal mentors, who would they be for your business, do you think? Well, that that's where, I mean, that's where we've had phenomenal success. I, I think the quote your, your pal had was, uh, yeah, if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. And <laughs> yes. uh, I think uh, I think that is, uh, that is spot on. And uh, yeah, you know, I've, I think if you go into it genuinely asking for, the advice for the input to the people who you know can bring the, the most value. You'd, you'd be surprised how freely they give it and and often their, their money follows. And, and certainly we, we've got a few involved in, in the company where that's been the case. You know, I've gone to them saying, we've got this exciting opportunity. You're from this part of the industry. I know you'll get it. Or you did something kind of parallel to this. I, I, I know this is going to be of interest to you. And yeah, they've given huge time, support, help, introductions, and, and ultimately money as well it's easier to rely on someone who's really good at that because not many people are very good at that. I mean, what are those statistics? It's like, you know, one, so few people actually make money investing. Oh, it, I, I can answer that question, Andy. Ooh. And um, I know in spread betting, which is sort of investing, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, I think it's 90% lose money. And I think in some cases it comes down to it's about 70, 30, make money. And, you know, I've spent the last 14, 15 years writing about investments for Money Week. And, you know, it's, and I think I write about it pretty well, but I just know how difficult it is. Like, as we're talking now, gold and silver have been in a huge bull market since, um, you know, since March, basically, when they started printing all this money. And they've been flying up. And as we're talking now, the silver price has suddenly come down 
five or six percent. And I'm looking at my screen and I'm like fighting myself not to email my broker and tell him to sell all my silver stocks, you know. And um, it's just very easy to be swayed by emotions. And unless you've got a definite system, whether it's some kind of analytical system or a technical system or a trend following system or whatever it is, it's just very easy to not to make money. It's, it's, it's as much as anything, there's no substitute for experience. Yeah, wow. I, uh, yeah. What is spread betting? Well, spread betting is basically a way of playing the stock market, the commodities markets, the futures markets, the currency markets. So s- say you've got the dollar against the pound and the dollar is trading at one thirty against the pound. For every, say, tenth of a cent that the, the dollar moves up or down against the pound, that would be a point. And you would then bet one pound or 10 pounds or 100 pounds a point. So for every um, point that the asset in question moves in your favour, you make a pound or you make your initial stake. And for every move, point that it moves against you, you lose it. And it's, it's, a, it's a way of being able to play with huge amounts of money with a tiny amount of actual capital invested because there's so much leverage. And so if you're not careful, you can lose way more than your original stake, as a lot of people do, and end up bankrupt and losing their home and losing their families and all sorts of disasters. But on the other hand, I know people who've made, you know become millionaires as a result of it because you know for, for a relatively little stake, you can make back quite a lot of money as long as the markets move in your favour. Yeah, right. And the other, the other beauty of it is, I should say, because um, it's classed as gambling, there is no capital gains to be paid on your winnings. And the reason I understand why they don't um, tax you on your winnings is the fact that the majority of people lose and they don't want people writing off their losses against their taxes elsewhere. <laughs> I've always wondered why they let you keep your winnings because it always seemed very benevolent of the government to, to do that. Although you can pay, when you go to horses, you can pay tax when you bet. I think if you're a professional gambler, like if you're on your CV, it says trader or gambler or whatever, then you would have to pay taxes. If you're no, a professional right. poker player, you would have to. But as long as you're not a professional, then um, then you don't have to pay tax. Yeah, that is right. If you do it, if you do it too often and too much, uh, yeah. yeah, then then the tax man says this is your trade. You you run into that all. Over. They can also say the opposite. They can say uh, a hobby. So something you're like um, something that is quite hard to make money out of, like music. <laughs> they can start music. They're quite kind about because it's so fucking hard to make money out of it, and most of the time people lose money. But. Um, yeah, you know, they could say the same thing and say, well, that seems like a hobby. We're not going to give you your losses. You know, you're not, this is, yeah. the pri- it's all about is your intention to make money uh, or is it your just intention to have fun effectively? Um, okay, so how, you're a very ethical person, Joe. You know, you care quite deeply about inequality or, you know, um, things being, you know, fairness and things in society. Is that, is that something you would recognize as part of your approach to being an entrepreneur? You know, the whole conscious capitalism and stuff. Is it? Is that something you would uh, recognize? Yeah, 
Definitely. I, I've, yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, you, you hear more and more saying it and it's, it's certainly not a new thing. And you even hear the, the big institutional investors saying it now that every entrepreneur should have a social agenda uh, attached to, to their business. There should be a purpose beyond profit. And, and, you know, the big investors are saying that they're, they're wanting to see that change in society. Um, let's let's hope that that happens. But yeah, I mean, it's it's something I've been a, uh, a convert to now for a number of years. Um, certainly, set up Square Book as a social impact business. We uh, we have a, uh, an agenda that goes well beyond um, just our profit, uh, and that's I mean, that's a hard thing to explain to some of us certain generation I, I guess we're we're kind of somewhere in in the middle I think uh, I think those younger than us I think you're going to see many entrepreneurs that do you know their, their business absolutely of course you've got to be profitable and you're not going to survive but to have a purpose that is a benefit to wider society whatever that may be uh, embedded into your your reason for being, your your company's culture, I, I think, is a trend going forward. Uh, and and, and all, our, all of our investors have, have bought into it. I mean, it was, you know, you, you kind of save it for last, I guess, um, because you don't want to appear too wacky when you're um, talking to people, I guess, a generation older than us that come from finance and, you know, think that you're some weird hippie if you say, well, we're going to allocate a proportion of our time and our profit for a for a good cause, something that we believe we can give back to society. Uh, in in our case, we've, I mean, the, the business at its core is about the efficient allocation of resources for the benefit of society. That that is what I we believe markets exist for. It's it's how do we all collectively allocate our resources to the things that are going to make life better for everyone, and and obviously profit is is part of that um but in our case we've we've decided to to focus on younger people from disadvantaged backgrounds you know people who've uh, come from yeah very have very challenging childhoods um almost certainly have uh parents if, if their parents are around who have never gone through uh further education uh so we we were looking to to put together a kind of training program and and to fund their their scholarships fund their uh university careers and then we were fortunate enough um uh, i guess uh, you know starting to explain this to people and was looking for help as to how we structure that part of our business and we came across uh, an organization in glasgow called the robertson trust um who are absolutely fantastic um it's uh it's one of the big distillery businesses up here very long story short it was handed down a couple of generations and then in the 70s uh, was inherited by uh, three sisters who never married never had children they decided to um set up this trust and all of the profits from the business go into the trust and the the business is uh, a very successful large commercial enterprise and all of its money is is channeled into this organization that that helps young people through this scholarship program you know it's away days it's it's training sponsoring them through university it's helping them with with work placements and and beyond and i guess we we see that as fitting in that it's an efficient allocation of of you know 
resources for, for society well, what's here. What's it called again? Uh, the Robertson Trust. But all of their profits, so they don't yep. grow as a business, they just... Uh, well, I mean, it's it's that tactical decision of, you know, where are we investing? So, I mean, like any any business that's going to have a purpose beyond profit, you, you need to... You need to have a way of measuring that. So they have targets every year as a trust, how many people they're going to help, um, how they, they measure the, the impact that they've had. And then the business has to decide how to invest its capital to grow what it can do over the coming decades in the trust and yet still meet their, their targets um, in the short term. It's an impressive setup. Oh, okay. And... and- from your point of view, I mean, your 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 business is is one that is trying to help businesses grow, I guess, you know, and trying to help them find new investors and find a marketplace and stuff in an efficient manner. But alongside that, you feel that you need to you need to add an element that there is 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 you you support or I mean, as in. In the future, you're looking to contribute profits to this organisation, or you're looking to work with the talent there, or you a know, bit of both. You. So we're, we're starting, or we're already working with with some of the talent there. Uh, there's obviously an opportunity for us to also help them with work placements at other financial institutions. Um, but yeah, absolutely, it's also about helping financially to fund more scholars, uh, and we've agreed a, a setup with them where they match us pound for pound. So um, certainly, as of next year, we we expect to be putting first scholars That's through great. the program. And I mean, on entirely selfish uh, level, you know, how can this how can this not be great for the business? I mean, I've I've started companies before i mean you you know well how painful that can be at times um and why you know how it can be yeah you, you gotta question. be fucking crazy you to gotta be, be crazy and you gotta be fucking crazy money's not enough money's not enough on its own to to justify it and to know that you're making a real meaningful impact in, in people's lives i mean it's so impressive when when you hear some of their scholars speak and you know some of the the work that they're doing while they're at university i'm on the board of this charity because you know i was abused as a child and it's something that wow, i'll wow. really serious you know really important to me and this is what i'm doing for them there and you know this is what I've learned through the program so I'm gaining with confidence and they're, they're stood on a stage in front of 250 people and you know this is someone who a few years ago was very timid very insecure has come from a broken home or you know has had a hasn't had a, hasn't had a or many family members to keep telling them that they can do it basically i mean actually when i say entrepreneurs are crazy now entrepreneur the first time around they're just being kids first time around you're just being 21 and like hey i'm gonna take over the world the second time around you're fucking crazy man (laughs) once you realize what that actually means because i don't know i do meet them and there are plenty out there who's every success has been you know every business has been a success but if you're 21 and you can make if you can just get out with your shirt you've practically succeeded you know um you know if there's some if there's some ability there, but then then to come around and do it again, I mean, that's great what you're describing though, which is it's effectively providing, um, yeah, uh, it's an institutional framework. It's a, it's a, it's something to 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 replace or to to supplement 
um, uh, someone's upbringing in a way to say you are valued, you are talented, you are. I mean, there must be some. Do they take they 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 take the more talented people? It's a sort of scholarship thing, is it? Because that that works well because you're kind of like you're fucking clever or you're really able, you know. And without without a good family behind you, you'll you'll probably just end up a drug addict or something, you know. So and many of them don't have any close family members. I mean, many of the scholars and and to not have someone to help you move in and, you know, move your stuff down. And, you know, when holidays come, there's, there's no one to, to go home to, you know, there's, there's, yeah. But where does it come from in you? Why, why, why are you, why do you give a shit? Uh, I guess you get older, you have children, you start to care more about others. Um, uh, and again, I mean, just think how amazing the world would be if, if every business had a purpose as well as their profit, and they gave. I mean, the the corporate uh, donations from companies is is disgraceful. It's, it's embarrassing. Oh, it's appalling. And people, not just. Yeah. I mean, yeah, companies yeah. get all the shit. But I have to say, fucking people are shit. Like you know, people do not. And I think there's a lot of problem in the way they collect charity money and stuff like that. But. Well, you know, that's, I, I that's, buy into this. that's one of my big motivators. I mean, people, you get the the elder. Sorry for all the beeping. Um, you get the the elder. Uh, should I say this? The older generations who just don't get this model. You say it to them, and they get very angry. Um, potential shareholders. I mean, this has really peed off one or two. I mean. It's been so beneficial in terms of bringing people into the business, bringing people into the team, and certainly every shareholder is invested, knowing this is this is part of our mission. Um, but for many, they hate it. They say, "Who are you to give my money away?" Um, yeah, it's your job to go and make. Actually, a probably better though. I would take. I would wager a guess that the older generation are probably more generous with charities. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm not not judging them, but where where they're coming from, what what is embedded in their heads is that what you do is you go and make all your money in business, and then you go into. But, uh, you know, you start giving. Um, Crocking shit, that is. <laughs> well, and, and back to your point about how charities just don't quite deliver because they're not able to have any entrepreneurial approach. You know, it, those giving want to know that their pound went into someone's hand. It didn't pay for management. It didn't pay for marketing. It didn't pay for something that wasn't a tangible donation. And actually, if you can bring the, the entrepreneurial spirit to charity, I think you achieve multiples. I mean, that's what an entrepreneur does, right? They take capital and they find ways to, yes, to multiply yeah. its impact. So if actually your business has this dual purpose and therefore you are absolutely, you, you take your, you know, the, the positive impact you're having is, is absolutely something you're measuring yourself against that you're, you're really trying to innovate with. You're trying to make sure the resources maximize that you have control of that. You know, you, no one's questioning what you're doing your your motives are entirely pure you're not a paid manager that people are complaining about i think business struggles with charity because often charities aren't run well and so businessmen struggle with them a little bit as a sort of well you know is you know but i i say something deeper i always notice on wikipedia pages now it lists like um such a you know uh, successful multi-serial billionaire philanthropist and it's like 
you shouldn't fucking list philanthropists. Yep. It should be you have made a lot of you know you've made you everybody should be taking the view. And I have to look at myself after this because I I don't give much. I'll have to go and look. You know, I give twenty quid to this and twenty quid to that and twenty quid to this a month. You know, but bugger all, really. You know, in this grand scheme of things, and I know people are signing up to the kind of I'll only earn thirty grand and I'll give the rest of my money away and respect to them because most of us are too greedy to do that or too scared. I think we're too afraid that we need all this stuff. You know, I need all this stuff, you know, or, or if I don't have the new iPhone, then, you know, I won't exist as a human. And, you know, but it amazes me that philanthropy is like a thing you have to do when you're rich, where, whereas the Texans good on Texas and America, their attitude is, is absolutely you give, you know, and you go to these dinners and who can give the most is, 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 is very important. And the, the, there's definitely a conversation. I mean, if you're saying you talk to investors and it pisses them off, I think that has, I think, as you say, it's an older generation. I think that is shifting, but as a baseline, you know, philanthropy, it should just be a given. It should just be, you know, point base, you know, and then you, well, you then fall into the argument as well. Isn't that what taxes? And actually, I'm not completely against that as a viewpoint to say, pay more tax and, and you sort the philanthropy out, you sort the country out, you know, I don't know. And, and you think government's better run than the average charity? No, not really. The bigger the company gets, the more messy it gets, isn't it? You, you, know? you need the entrepreneurs solving many of the, the social problems, I think. You, you somehow need to inject that, you know, get them on it, get them interested in there's that. There's a guilt thing. Don't you find there's a real, like, the, the people who stand up for it are, like, holier than now and look at me and I'm, like, wonderful. And, and, you know, often the people who bang on about it are the biggest bastards anyway. So there's such a sort of, like, yeah, you, know, you know, it's, it's the figureheads are not, um, there are some amazing figureheads. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's something about the human nature, the human condition, which is so selfish underneath it about survival and whatever that you know people who stand up for stuff do you know what i'm trying to say there's a sort of um... i do but and, and this is i mean i'm not suggesting this is something that everyone would fall behind in terms of really devoting their their passion to it i think anyone being offered a job at one place where they don't have any impactful agenda and pretty much the identical job over here where where they do i think most people would would go for the latter, and I think uh, I think uh, probably a, a majority of entrepreneurs have that that social minded streak in them would would absolutely agree, agree love to do that. And and that's my point. You just need to get the younger generation of entrepreneur believing that you can set up a business that is profit and purpose, and you will still be able to raise capital. You will still be able to do what you did it's just you know 20 percent of all your time and your money or 10 percent of all your time and your money will also go into this purpose here and it will motivate everyone more and it will will be positive in, i would in say so many entrepreneurs ways. seem to want to change the world a lot of the time yeah and and that by its very nature is very um you know ethical in a way they want they want to change the world for the better so they and their mindset, you know, I get that. That's why I get very defensive, as I've said to you many times about, you know, left wing friends of mine who, who regard business as this bunch of evil bastards. When I'm like, 
uh, you know, the, the, the sweat these people are putting in, you know, like you, the fucking, what they go through to try and build something, to try and help society. How dare you regard them as some sort of money grabbing, they want to live on a yacht. But that doesn't necessarily fit with my other bit of the conversation, which is kind of if, if people say, oh, when I get really rich, then I'll help everyone out. Because I don't think we have a culture in this country of, of requiring people to be philanthropists. I don't think we have a culture that you would be regarded as rude just as much as if you swore, <laughs> well, that's me, but, you know, farted or, di or didn't offer someone tea or, di you know, if you came around for dinner and someone served you dinner and charged you for it, that in our culture would be like, oh, fucking dare you, fuck you, I'm leaving. Whereas what it should be is if I come around your house and, and there's no, it's all about you and there's no sign of philanthropy. I, actually, I get to the point of it. It's like, there's no, it's not visible. There's no visible and there's no regulation and there's no cultural pressure. And you don't know whether I give money or not. And if you ask me, you know, I say, yeah, I give money and it's bullshit. Or I don't give that much if someone sat down to you. So it almost falling down to almost, it's almost back to tax and accountancy. That's what I feel that your accountant should almost say, you know, you're required to give 5% to charity, you know, this year. Now you're earning more than a million pounds. You must choose your charities and give 5%. But, but this is where you could change the, the culture. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a guy I know in, in Glasgow who's got a, a lager company, um, uh, Brew Gooders, and, and their thing is that when you, when you buy a beer from, from them and they're in all the major supermarkets, their profit goes to uh, providing clean water in, in Africa because they see it as, you know, you're fortunate enough to be drinking this, you know, luxury lager and there's someone over here who doesn't even get clean water you know we should be offsetting our privilege by by helping them and then for you the consumer when you're stood at the shelf looking at should i buy this lager or should i buy that one you know that if you buy this one you've just done a you know oh, I like there, that. There I like a that because there's a lot of that going on amongst entrepreneurial business as you say and and the reason i'm also defensive of business is entrepreneurial businesses today in 10 years of the big plcs so you're right. If it's ingrained in their culture, then and, and, and they do an IPO with you and then they go for it, but it's ingrained that 10% goes and does clean water wherever, um, then, then that works. If all the companies take on... But you know when you say profit and purpose, people more say that you are doing something other than profit. I don't think the dialogue is... I think I, th I would almost add another... Can we make it a P? Profit, purpose, and philanthropy. You know, it's like all companies need to do all three, you know, the three P's of p -p 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 um, pick up a penguin. Um, and on that bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a nice place to end, maybe. OK, well, Joe, thanks very much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, as we close, why don't you tell our listeners um, how they can find out more about you and what you do? Uh, best to hit up our, our website www.squarebook.co.uk um, keeping the, the news refreshed there and you'll have an opportunity over the coming months to sign up to the platform and, and see, see the deals as they come live great stuff well Joe Sluice thank you very much thank you thank you and make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me Dominic Frisby for the next episode of Business Without B***